Thank you everyone for joining us today. I'm Alicia Swamy. I'm here with my co-host Keely Severson and Eric Johnson. We have the Executive Director with the Environmental Health Trust, Theodora Scarato. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to hearing more about what you have to say about 5G wireless. Seems like you've done a lot of great work in the field and yeah, take it away. This podcast is brought to you by Michael Rubino, The Mold Medic, and All-American Restoration, the first and only mold remediation company in the country specializing in remediating mold for people with underlying health conditions or mold sensitivities. They've quickly become the most recommended remediation company from doctors and mold inspectors nationwide. Check out our show notes to pick up your copy of Michael Rubino's book, The Mold Medic, an expert guide on mold remediation, or visit allamericanrestoration.com to get your home assessed and get your health back on track today. So we're a scientific think tank, Environmental Health Trust, and you can go to ehtrust.org. And I'll say at the beginning, at the end, please do sign up for our newsletter if you want to stay updated on what we're doing. So we work with scientists both in the United States and around the world on the issue of environmental health and prevention with a focus right now on 5G and wireless because 5G is going to mean hundreds of thousands of new small cell sites, antennas closer to people than ever before, 20, 30 feet high towers, which are called small cells that are 10, 20, 30 feet from homes. In my community, despite our heroic efforts and five years of stopping the industry uh, laws that were, they were trying to pass laws to get cell towers close to homes just this summer there was passed a law that allowed wireless companies to put cell towers 30 feet from homes, no notice, no public hearing, no notice, and nothing you can do. And uh, that's happening across the country in local communities and and county. And I can answer any questions about that. But our most recent action has been our lawsuit against the FCC. So like with pesticides and all other toxic exposures, we have these lax regulations related to wireless radiation and electromagnetic, non-ionizing electromagnetic fields, but specifically for wireless. And do you want to hear about the lawsuit or? Okay. So we, just to give you a little history, and I could do a slideshow or I could talk and answer questions too, but the background is when I first learned about this, first question was, what are the laws that we have in place? What happened? What? Who's protecting us? Right? Of course, they're protect. Of course, cell phones were tested before they came on the market. I mean, you would not, we wouldn't be giving these to our kids if they weren't safe, right? I mean, they checked, didn't they? They didn't. There was no pre-market safety testing for long-term exposure for cell phones before they came on the market. The Environmental Protection Agency had a robust research program in place in the 80s and maybe early 90s, although it started to get defunded then. By 1996, they were tasked to set safety limits, thresholds of harm. What, what's, what is a harmful effect? What's the level it was? They were fully defunded in 1996. They did not set safety standards, proper safety standards. Instead, the groups of the, the, that are industry-filled those limits and recommendations were taken. These are limits 
allowable levels of exposure that work for the technology, but are not necessarily safe for our biology. And the United States adopted these limits, the FCC, they defunded the EPA from doing any more research, and we've had those limits since 1996. Then the FCC opened up what's called an inquiry. They opened up a record receiving information. Should we change these limits from 1996? They've been unchanged. Remember, in 1996, cell phones were like a brick. We didn't have Wi-Fi. We didn't have smart speakers. We certainly didn't have children using phones. I mean, when I first got my phone, I was pregnant. I was working in an area. I had a very bad car that always broke down. So I got it for safety. The, my first cell phone when I was, what was I, 30? It was 30. And I used it hardly ever. Now the babies are using them in grocery right in the grocery store, they're handed them as toys, they're watching videos, we have all this other stuff. So 1996, those limits were set, they've been unchanged. No one, no US agency has looked at the science. They haven't looked at the totality of the science or evaluated whether these limits are protective. They don't consider children, children's developing brains. They don't consider medically vulnerable people who have other medical diagnoses. They are based on heating only. They don't consider animals. They don't consider birds, bees, or trees. And yet we are increasing our levels of wireless radiation and ignoring the science. So we filed against the FCC when they made a decision in 2019, now two years ago, they said, we don't have to change these limits. They looked at the inquiry where there was thousands of papers, thousands of submissions of experts and scientists saying you need to update these limits, these 1996 limits for wireless radiation, human exposure. They are not safe. And the FCC said, no, we don't. They issued a few paragraphs about this and said, we're going to keep those limits. So that's when we filed our lawsuit because it was a place in the, in the procedure where we could. It's not that we waited until this moment. It's like we had an opening and we had to go for it. So we filed and we got a favorable judgment. The court found, the federal court of appeals of the DC circuit found that the FCC had ignored so much. They had ignored and the the court judgment lists this. They ignored the research on children's vulnerability. They ignored the testimony of people who had been injured. They ignored the issues of long-term exposure. And they, quote unquote, completely ignored, unquote, the issues of impacts to the environment, birds, bees, trees, or wildlife. So now the the FCC must respond by re-examining the record and putting forward a new determination without completely ignoring all of the science and the recommendations. And if you don't have it, I don't have it right in front of me. I have a two-page fact sheet at Environmental Health Trust that sort of summarizes what the court decision was. It has a timeline talking about the EPA and everything. There's actually other things that happened. We had congressional hearings a decade ago. We had a GAO reports, the Government Accountability Office, all of the congressional issues and so forth on the two-page fact sheet you could find useful. So here we are. In 2021, we filed, we just filed November 30th, another filing 
and we have more that we're doing. And we're requesting that the FCC consider the last two years of research because they might not. They might just only go through 2019. It's a bit of a technical thing, but it's very important. So we're still working on uh, actions. A lot of people who are sensitive to electromagnetic radiation, and that is a part of our recent filing, as well as a big part of our case in, it, in addition, they were completely ignored, their testimony or testimonies, their families. But I know that this, your group works on or is focused on recovering from mold, but I'm sure you know that many people who have had those high mold exposures then become sensitive to electromagnetic fields or vice versa, because it's just total body burden. It's just shut down because it's just too much, right? So, and I have my own personal experiences with mold and can talk all about mold. And I've gone, I, I uh, been deep in the mold situation and really finding housing that is safe in terms of mold and electromagnetic fields and radio frequency radiation, exactly where were we going to find this housing? I mean, it's so many issues here. So I'm glad to answer questions or be casual or talk to you more about anything you want or you have questions about. But uh, we, we are, we were, oh, another thing we're working on is environmental review is calling for an environmental review of this issue. And uh, there are a lot of pieces to it. I hope you will get involved and raise awareness in your community. And also we have to get our governments accountable on this issue because people are sick and more people will be sick if we don't do something. Thank you, Theodora. We really appreciate that that synopsis of what you guys do. And we appreciate you calling out this issue. And, and we also have our own theories and thoughts on what's going on with people who have major sensitivities, especially when they come near radiation emitting devices. But I'm just really curious, who is the driving force behind these towers. I mean, it was, it was like an overnight thing. I felt like, and you know, you, you go to bed and you wake up and now you see all these towers everywhere and they're literally in the middle of nowhere. And the reason why I know that is because my husband and I have been looking for land in rural areas where there's literally no one and you see these towers. And, and I'm just really curious, who is the driving force of this? And what was the reason why these were put up? Well, the wireless industry is a, is a company, they're companies, it's an industry, and they're making money, and they're making more money the more things they sell. So there's there was the first generation phones, 2G, 3G, 4G, now we're at 5G. 5G is going to require 800,000 new wireless sites of the small cells, but it also requires the macro cells. So each one of these companies are building out their network. Sprint, you know, T-Mobile, although there's they've gotten together, but Verizon, AT&T, every company has a network. It's not like it's a network and they all are sharing the, the network. So they each have to build their own. So you might have, so when you see out in the middle of a plains area, right, it's flat. So you can really see the towers pretty well. Or if you see mountains, you'll see them on top of mountains, of course. They they need to have it all connected. And sometimes they do point to point to get to different rural communities and they'll drop it down into fiber, all kinds of things. It's like building a highway and each company has their own highway for the data. So there's more and more because there's more things being designed. And then there's driverless cars 
and got all kinds of networks with the utility meters. It's just each of these networks has to be has to be designed like you would drive your car to work and back. So that's what's happening. I don't know that there's one group. It's it's the industry like anything else, like food or anything. Without the network, they can't sell the things that are part of the network. And we also have the internet of things, mm-hmm. which is billions of new devices. In fact, I have Wi-Fi Teddy, Toy-Fi Teddy. We have a whole bunch of all of these. I mean, locator things, toys, industrial applications. It's just in retail stores for in terms of occupational exposure. It's just unbelievable what is being planned. And this all was planned years ago, but it takes time. They develop the technology. They roll it out. We had Tom Wheeler, who was the head of the FCC former head lobbyist of the CTIA wireless industry, he set the stage with several things that happened. Then we had Ajit Pai, who is the former lawyer for wireless industry, then became the chair of the FCC, who then put into place regulations that streamlined and allowed it to be easier to put up the network. So it's been, I guess it's been about a decade now of real work on the part of industry to roll this out. But before that, they were rolling out the previous generations. It's just the money has gotten so huge now. I mean, this industry is powerful, more powerful than tobacco. And they make tobacco look like a mom and pop shop with what they're doing in terms of creating doubt and money, the influence into science. Wow. Wow. And policy. Thank you. That Yeah. I mean, it's becoming a giant that, you know... (laughs) Or like David and Goliath here, you know, I wanted to just talk more about the health effects. So what are some of the health effects of these devices, of the towers, of our computers, of all these internet of things? How is it affecting, let's say, a child's body compared to an adult's body? Well, children are more vulnerable to wireless and cell phone radiation for for three reasons. First, they absorb it deeper into their bodies and brains, deeper into brain centers. And that's because they have thinner skulls. They have more water in their brain tissues. They have a smaller physiology. So there's not, you don't have to go as far to get from one side to the middle of your head, say, because they're smaller. They have smaller ears. They have smaller arms to hold devices. So it goes deeper into their brains and their bodies. But even if it were the same, they're more vulnerable because their brains are rapidly developing. And even small exposures can have large impacts, as you know, with any other environmental exposure, the younger you are, the more you, there can be an effect later on. And there's research showing brain damage, memory damage, damage to brain cells, hyperactivity, so forth. So in addition... The research on microwave wireless radiation, so wireless is microwaves, but lower power and actually even more complicated because it has data riding on the microwaves. But stem cells, which are more active in kids, have been shown to be more affected by microwave radiation. And then the third thing is that children will have a lifetime of exposure compared to us adults. I'm 50 right? So I've had 20 years of a phone and probably didn't really, I only really used it much for a few years because then I learned about it 10 years ago. And then it was like, I used it and then I went down, but kids starting it 
prenatally, right, before they're born. So they're more vulnerable. The American Academy of Pediatrics has repeatedly called for the USFCC to take action on this issue and to make more protective regulations. Then what is the health issues? So radiation is a full body. There's every part of you is going to be affected because we're it's affecting every organ in our body. So you've heard about cancer, I'm sure. The research on long-term exposure to people who use cell phones heavily in the independent science, independent science, shows increased risk for brain cancer and tumors in the head and neck area. Now there's research that just came out of Yale finding that people with thyroid cancer who use cell phones heavily and had a certain genetic susceptibility had more risk of thyroid cancer. There is research. So there's a cancer is one. Oh, and people who put cell phones in their bra. There are case uh, published case histories of women who are developing cancers, unusually multifocal cancers, not cancers like you normally see in the breast, unusual. These are not, normally you see it on the side more. These are right in the center, right underneath the antennas of the phone. So we have cancer, but cancer is actually the least of, I don't want to say it's the least of our concerns. I don't mean to say that. What I'm saying is there are other concerns which are worth their own, their own place in the, in the story. So we have impacts to the brain, which I talked about, damage to brain cells, decreased brain cells in rodent studies, research from Yale on mice that finds increased hyperactivity, damaged memory in mice that are prenatally exposed. For the studies that looked at pregnant women, which of course you can't cut open babies or pregnant women to, to look at their brains. In the animal studies, they actually look at the brains. And they can see, they can count the brain cells, which is how we know the decreased brain cells. And they can find the altered, the altered brains. However, in people, there's research showing behavior problems, impacts to hearing, and neurocognitive issues from prenatal exposure. The study in memory I was mentioning was in, there's a study on Swiss, Swiss teenagers looking at um, teenagers who put the phone to their head, those who had the most time with the phone to the head, they did memory tests the beginning, a year later, one year. And they the tests they did, the memory tests for the kids, specifically were addressed to the part of the brain most exposed. And in those kids who used the cell phone for the longest, they had memory damage after one year. That was a replicated study. So we have brain, we have uh, reproduction, sperm damage, damaged sperm, damage to testes development in, in animals. In humans also, when they take human sperm and put it in test tubes and expose it, they find damage also. And then oxidative stress, the majority of studies show oxidative stress, which of course is not only a hallmark of cancer, but it can lead to, or, you know, be a part of all kinds of other diseases. So if you already are sick to add in something that is going to create this less resilience in your body to handle everything else. So in fact, I have, and I'll put in the chat, a link to some of the latest studies that have been done on this, that are reviews about all of these issues. There's research looking at impacts to the brain 
And they find that the impacts in the brain are very similar to those changes you'd see in the depressed brain, people who are depressed. So there's a lot here. Now there's a big explosion of autoimmune disease. Are you seeing research connecting EMF or radiation exposure to autoimmunity? Well, I think that there is research that has looked at the immune system and there really needs to be more research in general on this. Although I don't think we need any more research to know we have a problem, but I can send you some of the research on the immune system that's been done and on DNA damage. I'm moving into genotoxicity, but I think that really is important, especially in terms of also, so I'm talking about wireless a lot right now, but there are lower frequency fields, magnetic fields, which in fact, if you have a phone, the phone emits several kinds of non-ionizing electromagnetic fields. You've got the wireless, and then you have the magnetic fields and the extremely low frequency fields. And that is a, we don't even have any limits in the United States for magnetic fields because with power lines and the electric companies way back stopped that that's what happened. And we don't have any limits at all about how much we're allowed to be exposed to, but there's some interesting research looking at the immune system and lower frequency fields, but really it's all wrapped up and that gets a little technical, but I'll I'll send you some papers on that because the fields, the wireless has the magnetic field component in it. And there's a lot that's being sorted out. There's a lot we know and a lot we don't know, but the scientists who we work with say, we know enough to know that this is a serious problem. We have the the science is clear that there's adverse effects at levels that are being allowed. You know, when, when I hear you speak about this, it just makes me think of like the, the campaigns back in the day with uh, doctors pushing cigarettes as something that is a healthful thing. And then, you know, the last health technology company that I worked for a startup in San Francisco, you know, the, the main motive of the company was to, you know, increase texting between doctor and patient. And so it's like that connection where it's like, oh, this seems like a helpful thing, or maybe that was helpful before, but we have to know the the driving forces behind these campaigns. It's, it's bigger than, than all of us, you know, and like you said, it's, it's about money. It's about power. It's about whatever advancing technology, but we can't pretend like it doesn't harm us when it does and, and everything around us. And, you know, we don't really know the, the future implications because we don't have that major extended longitudinal data of being, in this 5G or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's just, it's going to be something that'll play out. Now, you know, we know cigarettes are bad and it's doctors are not pushing that anymore. They're advising against it. And maybe that will be something we'll be seeing with, you know, this radiation and phones and, and all that stuff. I hope, I don't know, you know, maybe it's too big, too big to crack, but we'll see, you know what I mean? Oh, we're going to get there. I mean, we're already there in other countries. They are far ahead of us. Yeah. So in France, when you buy a phone, in several countries, when you buy a phone, you're told what the radiation measured, the measured radiation level is in the phone. We were told you go to the store, it's posted for you to see. It even says, keep away from the lower abdomen of teenagers and pregnant women. In France, they have labeling and uh, many public health uh, departments of health of government say, 
Well, they say different things. Let me say this, but they do. Many say you should reduce exposure to children. Whereas in the United States, it says like, there's really no reason to, but if you must, because you must be really worried, then reduce exposure. I mean, they have like all these caveats. It's not a clear you should, but many countries say you should. In Cyprus, they have pulled out the Wi-Fi uh, from the Archbishop Macarios Hospital in the neonatal units. They did measurements before and after. There's in Belgium, you can't sell cell phones that were designed for young children at all in the country, as actually a couple couple countries already have that. So it's not perfect because these countries are not don't have full protections, but many countries, like Italy, they have allow much less radiation from the cell towers than we do. We have U.S. has among the highest, the the most loosest limits for cell tower radiation than Italy and, and many other countries. Other countries, even some have protective policies for homes and schools, whereas here we just have it's like the wild west. Like, hey, go on, you know, it's the industry is running the show. So the only way we're going to get there is by everyone working on this. And and the problem is that a lot of people don't come into it until they're sick. And then they're so busy finding, frankly, a home, right? Everyone's looking for a place to live and they can't be like getting politically active because they're trying, they don't have a place to sleep that's safe. This is not just with people with, you know, mold and, and other issues, but people who are just sensitive to it. It's just happening all over. So we're, it's a challenge, but people are really gaining awareness, especially in California, where a lot of communities have put in setbacks of 250 feet, whereas I got my 30 feet, which is not okay. I know Ithaca, New York, they just, they just got an ordinance. I, and I apologize. I think it's a hundred feet, which they were very upset about because they worked so hard. And they were like, 100 feet, really? That's not safe. But it's better than 30. And it's better than 20 or 10. Like in our community, if you live in the city or in a mixed residential, it can be 10 feet. How is that okay? And we have them at 17 feet here. A home, a bedroom, 17 feet and an antenna. So, but I believe that we're going to get there. We are so going to get there. Thank you again, Theodora, for your work and what you guys are doing. You know, you're you're taking these people to court, and that seems to be the viable method of getting things done around here with many other issues. Um, we won't yeah. go there. <laughs> but, you, you know, with any other uh, problem that people discover, there's a plethora of snake oil salesmen to offer your potions and supplements and whatever. And so we, you know, we're all seeing these, these EMF protective devices, put this little sticker on your phone and that little dot on your computer, and it's going to save you from the EMFs. Now, what is it can, what is an actual viable thing that people can do to protect themselves and their families? And are these things effective? Okay. I'm going to talk about what you can do. And I'm also going to talk about products. And what I'd say about products is that there are so many that, and I certainly can't speak to them because we don't, deal with products. So I'm not going to speak to products. I have heard people that for some products of which I don't know the name and they, I don't know anything about stickers, but they have found that they don't have as many headaches. Now, is that proven? Is that who knows? I don't know because until we have peer reviewed published science, that's all we 
we only go on published research. So I, I don't know what to tell you. I wish they did work. It's possible that there can be a harmonization of the fields or, or make them less biologically impactful, but I simply don't know the answer to that. And I wish I did. And, and that brings up what we need, which are standardized way that these devices are being studied so that we can start comparing them. For example, there are backing, they're like these phone shields. We probably, the shields shield where the shield is because they're made of a, a material that stops it. But, but there's often a hole for the antennas. And there's another side that's not shielded. So what happens is kids who are handed these by their parents who love them very much and don't want them to get sick, kids aren't going to follow, oh, hold it this way and not that way. They're going to put it in their pocket any which way. They could be, and who knows what they're doing with this. The shield can be used just like it can deflect away. It can deflect towards. So I caution about thinking that giving your kid a shielded phone or whatever is going to help them. Because the child may not always follow the way the phone should be held. And then there are these little round things that people have, of which there are many kinds that, again, I can't comment on. But what you can do is first learn about your cell phone. I mean, it's best to use wired technology as much as possible. Like I have a recorded phone. I cannot get a landline here. It's through the internet. So it's corded and then it goes into my my modem in the in the system in the house and I pay extra to my phone company, right? It's not a copper landline. If you have a copper landline, keep your copper landline. And I use a phone, some phones, if you're sensitive, have a lot of magnets in them, but I found their phones that have less, especially when they're a lighter handset, and you just have and you don't want a handset that has the, the buttons in it, even if it's corded, that can have a that can hurt people's heads to laugh. I know it hurts mine. So I, this has worked for me. There's also low EMF phones. So also with your internet, use a wired, use ethernet because then the data is going through the wire, not through the air being absorbed into your body. It took us a while to, to do this. It was, and when I did, I thought, my goodness, why didn't I do this sooner? <laughs> like I had cords running around my house. Let me tell you my friends, they got their cords and they, you know, you can put them to the wall. It's just like a decade ago when we had cable and we had cables, right? We ended up getting an electrician to put, to run some ports so that I have one into my office. You want to learn how to use your phone to decrease exposure. So don't put it to your head. Don't put it on your body. If you must use it, turn off the antennas you're not using. If you're like, if you're using the Wi-Fi, which hopefully you're not, anyway, whatever antenna you're using, have that on and turn the other ones off, like the Bluetooth, the, the data and so forth. Know when, know that when the, the, the service is low, like you have one or two bars, then the phone is going to emit much more radiation to reach out. So you don't want to use your phone in a low service area. You, you want to, I have it. Ah, in, in my home where we don't have wireless and I can't have wireless in the home, my daughter, who's a, in college, of course, wants to use her phone. So you can get an adapter and plug, and she plugs it into the ethernet. This is an adapter. Then you have the ethernet. You put that in the other end and she can do everything on her phone. 
with this adapter, with the corded. And I, her friends do it too, even though they're not none so happy, but that's what they do. So there are a lot of tips and tricks to reduce exposure. And step one is at nighttime, turn it all off at night. Then at least you get your sleep. That was our first step. Turn it off when not in use. I could talk more if you, I mean, I obviously I could talk and talk. So tell me. What well, as I watch the emergence of these strange illnesses, my exposure, my problem began with mold. And I saw that the first people to acquire electric hypersensitivity were mold victims. Yeah. So can you tell us about your own mold story? Well, I think that the mold EHS story, if you want to, although I, I know there's discussion about using um, ES, electromagnetic sensitivity, because we are all electromagnetic beings. So we are all being affected, but people are having more symptoms compared to others is about body burden. It's just like, it's just too much stress on the body because then there's plastics and VOCs and chemicals and scents and people will often become allergic to all those environmental issues. Uh, Certainly a lot of people I know who are sensitive had a mold exposure. We had a mold, we had mold in a prior home situation and did a renovation. I know you might think that was a bad idea because it really was a bad idea. I would just say move if anyone ever asked me what to do, but, and I've been collaborating with a lot of people who are in serious mold situations and, uh, you know, we can't, we certainly couldn't find anyone who knew how to properly get rid of the mold because they, these guys do not follow the protocols, even if you give it to them. It's just, it's what it is. Did did you have a problem with your contaminated possessions? I did not get that. I did not have that situation. I have not been debilitated by mold. I more had mold and wanted to address it. So, but I know that I mean, I, I'm not going to speak as an expert in mold, only what in my research read, but that the, the possessions get contaminated from the microparticles. So if, it, if it's not a hard object that you can wash, but I'm not going to to speak on mold because I this would now be my personal research, not as Environmental Health Trust, just saying I can't. What is your work on mold? I mean, I, I can tell you what I know from a personal standpoint, but I'm sure you guys know it as well. <laughs> I'm a survivor of a very famous incident, 160 victims at Lake Tahoe who acquired a mysterious illness, which was later called chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm. And at the time, 1985, there were no cell phones, as you've noted. There were no cell towers. People cast around for all kinds of different explanations, and electromagnetic uh, frequencies was one, and yet we couldn't even pick up a cell phone signal at Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. We, we had no radio stations, no mm-hmm. television stations. I mean, we were so apparently protected that it seemed like that wasn't a factor. And yet people were getting ill and it seemed more related to biological toxins from microbial colonies, mold, mm-hmm. toxic algal bloom. And it was in these people that I first noticed that they were reactive to um, electrical fields. And this was apparently before the body burden, the toxic overload had happened because it was still in a very pristine, 
supposedly pristine location high up in the mountains in the Sierra Nevadas. Mm. But once you are, for people who are sensitized, at least what I've understood from mold or from other toxic exposures, then very low levels, I mean, minute, what would seem to be minute levels of magnetic fields can affect them. So you're going to have maybe not radio frequency, but other low frequency fields that that you may be exposed to from just your house. Yeah, when I uh, became really severely ill with toxic mold, I was so reactive that I couldn't tolerate any electricity in my house at all. Right. <laughs> and I instituted a strategy of what I call extreme mold avoidance. Much to my surprise, my reaction to electromagnetic fields was the first thing to disappear. Wow. You know that there's research on mold and electromagnetic fields too, showing that it can increase growth or decrease growth of bacteria and other and, and mold and, and viruses as well, and that it can affect the, the, the what's on the skin. It I mean and also just in growth in general on devices. We we did I was I could find the study, but it was on you know because devices are filthy. I haven't seen that. The uh, most notorious blog that I've seen is by Dietrich Klinghardt, mm-hmm. who, who claimed that a simple experiment of isolating a Petri dish by a small Faraday cage altered the mold to such an extent that when they removed the Petri dish out of the Faraday cage and exposed it to a standard router, that it increased mycotoxin production 600 times. Mm. And I thought, well, that, that seems a little extreme because if that were the case, when these cell towers are installed in a neighborhood and all the mold were to produce 600 times more toxins than they already do, we would be seeing death zones. Hmm. I don't know that study in particular, but I have seen in the published research and I don't know the numbers and would have to get it to send it to you research on, on impacts to the growth. Yeah. If there's any reproducible research on, um, mold growing more aggressively as a result Mm. of these fields i'd like to see it Mm -hmm. so how are you now and you're in lake tahoe where we have another lawsuit i'm sure you're aware of that no i'm not oh i'll put the link in the chat so there's a a network being built out of cell towers in lake tahoe and we're in that legal proceeding as well along with several other groups I know everybody around me is furious about this. We want nothing to do with it. There's a really famous one up near the bug station in Truckee that's disguised to look like a tree, which is absolutely absurd. It doesn't look anything like a tree. And everybody that drives on Highway 80 and goes through the bug station curses it. Really? Yeah. I'm I'm in D.C., so I don't know. I wonder if that's the one that has the fake needles on it which are falling down, creating a microplastic mess. Sounds like it could be. Yeah. I put a link there. And I also am going to put a link to, that's a news story, but we have information on our website with more materials. I'm going to get that link. One of the issues is that there's no, there's been no environmental review. And that includes not just the radiation, but the, but everything else, the digging, the, the plastics. So when you have the fake tree, these plastic needles, they fall down all the time. 
and then they pollute the waterways. Absolutely. Water. Back in the 1980s, at about the same time we were going through a mystery illness in Tahoe, a problem emerged in the North San Francisco Bay Area, an epidemic of breast cancer. It was absolutely wild. And it was eventually linked to flame retardants. Mm -hmm. But there again, these outbreaks of mysterious problems happen all over and there's never any follow-up. There's no, no, there's no follow-up. The only follow-up is with industry with what they want to do. Like the, if they want to see if medical students texting their patients has better efficacy, they're funded to do that. And probably by the industry, either indirectly, you know, several people down, but for this issue, getting funding and follow-up and that's a whole, because it's not even acknowledged, right? Mold. What's a safe level for, for mold? Yeah, it's impossible to establish. What ended up happening in your community with all the people who were sick, did they identify? Was it molds that were in the natural or what did you find out was the problem? Well, the uh, clusters of the mystery illness were all in sick buildings. Ah, okay. There were individual cases and the association with the sick buildings was so strong that I started asking individuals if they'd had a mold exposure. And one after one, it turns out that they had. They remembered at some point being made ill by mold. So I thought that was enough of an association to get researchers to look into it. And they completely refused. When the chronic fatigue syndrome, the definition was coined, all they knew about was viruses. So they stopped the investigation at that point. And from from then on, if you try to bring up something else, like there was another factor involved, they go, well, that's not in our definition. Right. We have schools here that have had just terrible mold situations. And of course, in the poorer areas, it gets a little press, if that, and then nothing. And then teachers who, you know, come to what we've, I used to, I moved around the DC area, but when I was over there in that community, I was working with the the schools and the teachers and they were sick and they were out, they weren't getting compensation. They, I mean, it was just a nightmare. They would just, the schools would just shut the doors of the rooms and say, well, that's the room that's contaminated. And then the, and then that's it. It, And it's extraordinary that back in the 1980s, this phenomenon, this toxic mold, sick building syndrome phenomenon was so unknown that the center for disease control and all researchers who analyzed the origin of the chronic fatigue syndrome outbreak were unable to identify mold as a cause. Mm-hmm. That's amazing to watch something go from completely unknown, unrecognizable to everywhere in such a short period of time. Mm. So I read about nanomedicine where they used um, the surface energy of nanoparticles as a vehicle for medicines to get into the blood and into the brain because they have a special charge that allows them to get past our defenses. Mm -hmm. And they're very useful in cancer. They take gold nanoparticles of a specific size and shape. So it has exactly the right density so that it will have this ability, this either a lack of charge or a special charge or the right surface energy characteristics to go right to the tumor and accumulate in a tumor. And as we know, cancer tumors, they 
have extra blood vessels. The body actually channels extra blood to a tumor. And these nanoparticles, these gold nanoparticles, will accumulate in a tumor. And then you can bombard the accumulated nanoparticles with electromagnetic frequencies, which excites the valence electrons, which spin faster and faster, turning these nanoparticles white hot, which kills the tumor. Now, it seemed to me that if they know that nanoparticles have this property in the laboratory, is it not inconceivable that nanoparticles out in the wild, from the atmosphere, from various sources, might accumulate in the body and make people reactive to 5G, to electromagnetic fields? Because as you get close, these valence electrons are being energized and the immune system doesn't like it very much. So have you heard like- that? If you'd like to join us on a research study, Theodora, <laughs> that's our proposal. <laughs> well, that, I mean, if it can heal, it can harm. So there's tumor treating fields. There's treatment for liver cancer using electromagnetic fields. And they're delivering the chemotherapy into the brain with electromagnetic fields by making the more permeable, the membranes. I mean, it all makes sense. Yeah, it's very scary. And unfortunately, all the people, the first line of those that we ought to be listening to, the ones who are living around the cell towers, the ones who are complaining, are the very ones that can't get a a forum for this. As more and more people start reacting to their cell phones, you would think that researchers would get interested And instead, in our experience, they turn and run. Well, they'll lose their funding. Yeah. There's hardly any, there's no money going towards any health effects research in the United States at all, except for the National Toxicology Program after the $30 million study where they were found to be uh, (laughs) (laughs) completely war-gamed. Yeah, it reminds me of Jacques Cousteau. And um, when he got to be so popular in the Calypso and everybody was going to be a marine biologist. And I mean, the schools were flooded with people studying to be a marine biologist. And then they found out that the only jobs in marine biology is doing studies on proving that oil is harmless to the environment. Oh, right. <laughs> right. That's you know, right. I wanted to mention something to you, Theodora, and maybe this just brings up the question of what's going on with electronics that are being produced today and being pushed on the population. I am a mold injured individual. I am a hypersensitive individual, which I do react to certain electronics and stuff, but not as bad. Like I'll feel it, but then it'll come and go. We recently bought a brand new MacBook laptop. And we brought that in the house and unveiled it. And that knocked me on my butt, literally. And I told my husband, we got to take this out of here. I can't even tolerate this thing. And so that made us wonder when I shared it with Eric and Keely, what's going on with these new products? Are they like double, triple the amount of electromagnetic radiation that's coming out of them? (laughs) Or what's going on? You know, I'm about to get a new MacBook too, and I'm really worried about it. I mean, I guess my question is, are you sure you have all the intent? Do you have a meter? No, no, I don't have like a meter or Geiger counter or anything that would be able to measure. Because what I found 
is they are not, well, if you, if you're using it on wireless, yes, they are pumped up. They're more pumped than the other ones, than the earlier ones. Like I think I have a 2000 and it's like 10 years old. I have a refurbished, 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 but it's not working for me anymore. I'm doing too many. I can't run video on this computer. So last time I got a new computer, we had to take it back. If I, now I have a meter. So when my daughter's friend came over with her new fancy MacBook, she said, oh, Theodora, the Wi-Fi is off. It's off, she kept saying. So I go down there with my meter. I'm like, no, it's not off. We had to go into the settings, into some funny thing to get that Bluetooth off. We had to really work. But the only way to do it was with the meter or else you don't know what's on and what's off. And that was what ended up happening. I, I, it took us like an hour to get Bluetooth off. And then we had, oh, and then there was Siri. So somehow Siri was on. And C, when Siri came on, it was turning on some antenna even though the Wi-Fi was off. So it was like all of these things, which could be a part of the problem. The uh, strange reaction to Apple products was such a hot topic in mold groups that I uh, went to the Apple store and tried experimentally going near all the different products in the store to see if there were any I was reacting to. And I found that there were some. Interesting. I mean, they they were like deadly and they weren't even turned on. They weren't even hooked up. Well, maybe they were still transmitting because, you know, they'll transmit even though they're not on or doing things. I don't know enough about that to, to say, but I did find that some people in um, assembly working in the uh, where these products are made started having strange illnesses from working with it. And that was never explained. Hmm. There, we, we just did. Oh, I have to go upstairs. I don't have it with me. I'm reading. Um, death by iPhone, which is all about, and we ran a, we had an environmental health film festival, which you can watch by interviews. Have you seen any, have you, do you know about our, okay. We, we did a Jackson hole environmental health fest. We had free streaming movies on all kinds of environmental health issues. Then we did interviews with the producers and that's all on our YouTube channel, our environmental health trust, YouTube channel. I'm not sure if we have it as a playlist. You have to look up the word interview. And we interviewed the director of a movie that complicit that went to China, all of the sick people with leukemia and so forth. I mean, it was just such a tragedy. And there are chemicals in the in in the devices, of course, that are sickening the workers. But there is research. I, I have to find it. We don't normally put it up, but there's just like flame retardants are in electronics, there are chemicals in the, the the device when you, the consumer, then get it too. So it's a whole bunch. It's so much, so much environmental degradation. But you can watch those. And also, I recommend Ovid. If you don't know about OVID, it's kind of like Netflix, but for documentaries. And I signed up. It's like a yearly rate. I, I don't have any financial attachment. I'm just passing on the the news. They have documentaries about oil, everything, toxic chemicals and so forth. And there's also a, they have a sale. So it's like half price for the whole year. You can watch any movie in there. All of these fabulous documentaries, including a lot about the chemicals in China and in the manufacturing plants, Korea and so forth. I think a lot of the uh, problems that Apple, the workers were having 
was eventually linked back to the metals involved in the construction. And the cleaning products, the benzene too. Yeah. And the companies are also dumping their pollution from the manufacturing into the water. And it's cheaper to violate the lax laws already in place than to actually follow the law. So they dump, when they get caught, they pay the fine, but it doesn't matter. Now, back in the, about the time of the, the mystery illness, when I was really losing it, I um, had a weird reaction going through Silicon Valley, Mountain View, Sunnyvale, Palo Alto. I would just drive through and get horribly ill just from a single pass, just driving through, not even stopping. And that was in the height of the uh, illegal silicon chip trade for computers. And I learned that what they were doing down there is illegally washing these chips with toluene and trichloroethylene and just dumping it right down the toilet. And to this day, they have a terrible problem with these solvents down in the water supply, which is ignored because people believe that underground is safe. Yet in some of the houses, they can test the air and it's accumulating in the houses, completely overlooked. And I've been down to Stanford to talk about it, and they are absolutely not interested. And yet Mountain View has one of the highest rates of multiple sclerosis anywhere in the country. Really? Yeah. Wow. So so they're not putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And what's disturbing is they're not even trying. And they're informed and not acting. That's it's it's not just that they don't they don't know it's they've been informed and they're looking the other way completely certainly on this issue of wireless you know the the companies have fought very vigorously to stop the consumer right to know about cell phone radiation it, the san francisco passed a cell phone right to know law back a decade ago and then they were sued by industry for violating the company's free speech rights and after Legal battle ensued. The San Francisco did not implement the law it passed. And then Berkeley did the same thing and won and won every court case until more recently when it lost because the FCC got involved. And now Berkeley can't enforce its cell phone rights to know act informing people. And amidst that, as a little tidbit, which I talk about in an op-ed I can send to you. I, I feel like I, if we could do more, we just don't have enough hands, but I would do more about this. But Apple, in the midst of all this, changed what it says online about radio frequency radiation exposure. It changed the warning. The warning used to be, I forget which phone it was, but it said more clearly that if the phone is something about, and I, I have to get it, the phone is touching the body, you know, it's not tested touching the body. Phones are not tested touching the body. They're tested at a distance. They went back and changed what they said online to make it more, it's less understandable to a person to understand that. And to me, that showed clearly that they're fully aware of what they're doing They made sure, I'm sure, legally that it withstood legal challenge. But to go back on a product that wasn't even really being sold on the market anymore and change what it says online in their radio frequency radiation exposure, and then moving forward, they did the same with all the new products. It just, it's like, uh, you know, they don't want the consumers to know. What's disturbing to me is that the medical profession are acting like gatekeepers. 
where they're supposed to be the front lines in the you know war to preserve our health. And yet when patients go to doctors with these complaints, it's always, well, you have no proof. There's nothing in the literature. You can't substantiate your anecdotal claims. So they've actually become a, a wall preventing us from making contact with researchers who would follow up on some of these observations and perhaps substantiate a few of them. Right. Do you, do you know about the, the medical conference? I do not. Oh, okay. So I'm going to put in, first I'm putting in the op-ed where I talk about the phone. Then I'm going to tell you about the EMF medical, because this has been a real issue with the medical community. So in 2019 and 2021, there was a medical conference where doctors can get continuing education credits on the issue of electromagnetic fields. But of course, several of the sessions addressed other exposures because of course the clients who they're seeing are multiple, you know, you got mold, limes, other toxic exposures. Let me put this in here. It's the Electromagnetic Fields Conference 2021. For medical doctors, they have it now online. So you can still get credit. You can't be live because that was a few months ago, but you can watch the videos and do the quizzes and get credit. So doctors can no longer say this isn't a thing. I don't know anything about it. Well, I thought doctors would be unable to make that claim for toxic mold. And yet for 30 years, they've held the line that perhaps it exists, but you have no proof. No. Yeah, it's very similar, it seems like, in, in the way of it being suppressed. And even though there is there is literature, no one's paying attention to the literature or raising a red flag or, you know, there's there's deeper pockets into the, the mold factor, into the EMF factor, where if, you know, we make this an issue, it's going to affect those pockets. I don't know. At the end of the day, it just makes me feel a little ashamed of <laughs> us as a species because, we're so consumed by what we're going to get monetarily and in power instead of really thinking about the consequences of, of these selfish actions and motivations. So I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that feels that way these days. Who knows? <laughs> well, one thing I'd like to suggest is that when the Center for Disease Control was so baffled by the Tahoe mystery on this, people started pointing in all directions at uh, phthalates and EMFs and pesticides, even though they weren't used at Lake Tahoe, but people just kept drawing on in all these different factors without really analyzing the circumstances. And by the time people started to get more interested than all these things, there was some basis for this toxic soup of different factors. But if you go back and look at the timeline of when these emerged, one might be able to tell by what came first, which was the more important factor in whatever environmental change occurred. I suggest that with uh, electromagnetic fields, because as I say, the mystery illness that chronic fatigue syndrome was coined for was prior to the installation of all these uh, cell towers. But There's what so was emerging at that time was the toxic mold phenomenon. Mold more and more people that I know who are sort of not in the world of environmental anything are having a mold problem. It, yeah, so that's, uh, that's it's a question. It's getting worse it? with, with all the water, at least here in Maryland. We have too much water. You know, we're getting floods and so forth. And 
mold. Yeah, is it possible that um, the ambient electromagnetic fields are altering the characteristics of mold in such a way as to make it more aggressive? Hmm. I'm also really interested in, because this was, I don't want to get too far into conspiracies, but there was also a lot of talks between 5G and COVID. And so people were were thinking that there was some sort of link because as soon as all these towers went up, we were having the COVID problem. And also people linking radiation exposure symptoms to COVID symptoms. And I'm just really curious if you can talk on that fact or if you have any insights or ideas. We do not advocate for burning down cell towers. This is happening all over. We don't, I mean, I think that illnesses related to electromagnetic radiation have been preceding the 5G rollout. So there certainly is research on immunity and on how you are, your body is as resilient, as healthy as possible. Electromagnetic fields are not going to help you. So, but I don't have any information on that. I know that that's being put forward, but a lot of what's being put forward in, especially like on social media is really, it's gone too far. And I, unless we only talk about what's, what's published. So I can't say that 5G has caused COVID? As of yet, the uh, 5G revolution has not really impacted Tahoe all that much. We still have terrible telephone service here. (laughs) And so I find it curious that when COVID passed through, it almost seemed like we were immune to it. I think a a lot of us got it. I did. And there were very few fatalities, very few reports of serious illness. As far as I know, no intubations, no serious illness occurred around here. Hmm. Down in the valley, yeah, it had more impact. But there's a uh, research institute in Incline Village, which began because it was the source of the original investigation that resulted in chronic fatigue syndrome. This research institute has been there for all these years. They got a grant to study covid And I kept waiting, okay, when this virus goes through, how is it going to affect people who had been previously afflicted with the mystery illness? What impact is it going to have on our community? Nothing. Not a word. They did all the testing. They did thousands and thousands of tests. And they were commissioned with a grant fund to give us some kind of data on what was going on. And there's been absolutely no word. So I can't help but wonder if maybe the reason why we seem almost impervious to this this virus is our lack of 5G up here. I don't know. Perhaps we could look at places. One of the problems is that we don't have, we don't really have good data on where there is 5G and where there isn't. Because you have the data that the industry gives you. But that doesn't actually mean much for three reasons. One, Sometimes they say there's 5G, but it's really 5G evolution or it's 4G. I mean, it's all kinds of Gs and it ain't high frequency 5G. It's just more of the same. Who knows what it is? It, but it ain't. But so there's that problem of what, what are we really getting? Then there's the problem of you might not think there's 5G, but there actually is 5G because they're testing it or they have other industrial applications that you may not know about that are happening that are not Verizon and not AT&T. So no getting the data to properly do that is the the challenge. I mean, I'm not saying I think in Lake Tahoe, like it doesn't seem like a place, but whereas if you're in a city, they are testing out a lot of things in the 
very industrialized cities that people aren't aware of, like New York and so forth, or universities will be testing out their little system and you won't know that. So it's really a challenge to know what's well, going on. Now is the time to try to get this data because when it's saturated the entire planet, the ability to see this transition period will be lost. Right. We're not measuring, we're not measuring and putting that data up. Switzerland does, many France does, many countries have real-time measuring. You can go online and look up your address and see what the radiation is near you. But here in the United States, we cut those field offices at the Environmental Protection Agency that were doing that over two decades ago. So we don't have that data. We don't even have measuring, like my meters don't measure the higher frequencies. I don't have a consumer grade meter for the uh, millimeter waves or submillimeter waves. So there was a theory that one of the reasons that there was a correlation between certain frequencies and illness is that the length of the neurons corresponded to the specific wavelength, just like an antenna, Mm -hmm. that the nerves in your body were precisely contrived because of your height Mm -hmm. to to make you into a living antenna. Mm -hmm. Have have you seen any follow-up on that? Well, I, I know that every structure has the capacity to resonate with the frequency. So it can be your height and that can do one thing. It can also mean the different parts of your body, like in your hand or your skin, the sweat glands are uniquely, can uniquely resonate with a a higher frequency waves as well. There's research that has been done on that. And, And every part of our body could resonate in different ways. Different tissues could have different absorptions because of that. But I don't have a synthesis of that. I mean, that's, that's understood to happen. The question is, what does it mean? And delving into that, I don't have that information. Theodora does not have that information. All right. So what we need to do is figure out some way to get researchers to be more open to anecdotal observations so that as these complaints emerge, they'll be seen as clues rather than evidence that should be thrown out or suppressed mm-hmm. because there is no peer-reviewed literature supporting it. Well, you know, you can file to the FDA. I've been meaning to get this up again. Like the FDA has a place you can file about their electronics if you have a problem with it. If, if you've been injured by a radi- radiation emit- electronic that's radiation emitting, they do this for like medical things and so forth. But there is no reason that we or the public can file. I filed about my deck phone, file about the devices. If it's getting you a headache, if it's this, if it's that, file. There's there, The problem is they're not doing anything with that information, but at least it will exist. We have begun questioning them about that. I mean, they should be compiling the data, analyzing the data, because then you have a record of it. But right now there's you talking, you know, it's the people talking is nothing. It doesn't mean anything for our policymakers or for our government health agencies. It, it, it's nothing. It's the Department people. of Health and Human Services set up a chronic fatigue syndrome advisory committee. They did. Yeah, this was an official committee that um, not only reported <sighs> to Congress, but to the CDC, NIH. And, and what happened? <laughs> well, it went on for many years. It was finally discontinued for lack of evidence, supposedly. But I think by the time it reached the end of its run, 
a lot of us had reached the conclusion that the only reason for the existence of this committee was to monitor how much this community were going to complain, how organized they were going to get, and whether or not they could be safely ignored. So they were only doing it to keep tabs on our complaints, not as a reason to respond to any of them, because much, much evidence was presented to this committee, and every bit of it was ignored. Is the evidence online somewhere? Sure. A lot of it's on YouTube. YouTube. Like like testimony, you mean? You gave right. testimony? Right. Uh, Yeah, different clues, submissions about medical studies that have been done by independent researchers, anecdotal observations, incredible numbers of uh, patients all complaining about concurrent signs, symptoms, things that the uh, Department of Health and Human Services should have responded to. And they managed to deflect every bit of it by saying, you have no proof. It's inconclusive. So I suspect that anything that you submit to the FDA will reach a similar dead end. Well, or I mean the FCC. Right. So that's why we sued because you can't ignore things in a rulemaking process. You can ignore them in a process that doesn't have a rule or a, a law that guide that ensures certain things about it. So you had this committee, but it didn't have. It wasn't doing any. It wasn't tasked to do a report? Was it tasked to, was did, was it tasked to do anything? Even if you have strong evidence, they can ignore all of it simply by saying inconclusive, needs further study. Right. That's what they do with EMFs. But did they do a final report or do they just exist as a thing that exists? They just set it up with the, uh, like dangling the carrot in front of patients that this was going to lead to something yeah. when it never did. So it, so the next step would be forcing like this is a if there's no process you can't affect the process and that's what they did is create a, a messy something that looked like a process but really it wasn't a process right it was just a group that's just going to be like thin air they're just going to stick stuff in and it goes nowhere there exactly. needs to be a process like you're going to do a report on this day then they do the report, and then the report is nothing. The report says no problem, but then at least you can respond to the report, and then they have to respond to your response. Like that's the process normally. Yeah, no um, accumulation of data, no final report was ever made. That's how they win. That's how they win. If there's no data. So the I see that different paradigms, no matter what it is, whether it's the toxic mold or it's the endocrine receptor disruptors or that it's the electrohypersensitivity, it's all re- reaching the same bureaucratic dead end. It's all being deflected the same way because supposedly our federal agencies are tasked with protecting us, with keeping tabs on these things. They're not, and we're blocked from making any progress with independent researchers because they don't get the funding and they are being opposed by the higher-ups who are supposedly uh, on our side, and it turns out that they are a complete, complete gatekeeper and roadblock. Yeah. So what do we do? We just wait until so many people are sick and all have the same complaint that we hope that someday somebody will respond? Well, I think getting organized 
And I think that's a really hard thing to say because I, you know, it's like your basic organizing of people with a clear message with what happens is people start arguing because you got all these people and they all have different things and they all have different beliefs and they want to do these five things. Another group wants to do two things and you just end up with a mess. But if you could come up with like three or one thing or something you're organizing around that everyone can be on board with and have that clear message and get a lot of wide participation and you have to know what it is. What is it you want? What do you want? Yeah, you just described what Peter Staley, an AIDS activist, said about ACT UP. <laughs> that it was the identical situation that the reason they were successful is because they had HIV, a unifying theme that they could all agree on. No matter how much they fought, at least there was one thing that everybody could unite on. And all these other illness entities, they lack that unifying theme. Right. Well, you need, I mean, we, we go through this as well. It's like, what do we want? You have to know what you want. Like the real want, the, the, the thing that you want to accomplish. What is it? What do you want? Well, in uh, my in world, one sentence, as you see by the poster behind me, <laughs> my, my uh, concept was extremely clear. It was that chronic trichothecine exposure may be indistinguishable from chronic fatigue syndrome, meaning the toxic black mold, Stachybotrys fusarum ketonium, produce compounds that are so indicative of this syndrome that this connection has to be researched, particularly because these toxic molds were detected and reported in the original clusters which were the subject of the CDC investigation. I thought that was so, about as clear as you could possibly get. Right. But, and I, I have to go soon, but I just want to say like, if you, we just veered to a side road, because if what you want is to make sure that these stockybotrics and so forth are researched in a certain way, I don't know that you're going to get the massive organizing force behind you. That is a piece of a puzzle, but what do you want? What I'm trying to ask is, what do you want? Do you want recognition that mold is a is harmful at lower lowers that are? You know, <laughs> oh, you got to figure out what it is you want in I've, one sentence. Yeah, it's one sentence. Look into the toxic mold. You want them just to look into it? Because if you do, you cannot help but stumble into evidence of just how bad this stuff really is. Well, let's back up. I mean, I don't from our perspective mold aside, we don't want people to, well, I guess part of what we want is them to start looking at it, but that is not what we want. What do you want? No, I've already said that. Uh, they start looking into it. You're going to get all kinds of nonsense. You're going to get money, money going into all this research that ends up with no conclusion or they're not looking at it right, or who knows what's going to happen. I mean, what do you really want? I'm, I'm going to push you and ask you just what do you actually want? Well, let me After uh, they rephrase look into it. it. What do you want them to do? What, what do I want them to do? Yeah. Well, uh, I, are, I said, look into the toxic mold okay. because it's fascinating and it's very deadly. And yes. you'll find out that it does kill people. But Isn't it a bioweapon? The corollary to this is, 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It, it was weaponized. And yeah. the reason why is because it's so toxic. Right. But the other way to express is, is fail to look into toxic mold at your peril. Because if you do not, you will suffer for it. But I think what you, right. But I, I think what you want is recognition. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking here. You want recognition that this exposure is one harmful and har- and harmful to people who are exposed in their daily life settings. Amazingly that's enough, that's already want, been established. Right? That's what? already been established. But no, it has not been by the government. No, not officially by the but government. But that's what you want. <laughs> not really, because the government is extremely aware of this, and they don't want people to know. But but what is the problem? Okay, you're saying that they're aware of it and they don't want people to know. But I'm just saying from an organizing perspective, if you really want to fix a problem, what is it that you want? You want the government to, to be, I mean, don't isn't what you want there to be like recognition that you've been injured and that other people are being injured. Ultimately, you need recognition and you need there to be safety measures that are common practice so that this doesn't happen to other people. I mean, I'm, I don't know if that's exactly what you want. I'm just trying to take what you're saying and come up well, with something organizing about it. Well, it's like, it's just like with AIDS, with GRID. When they first tried to name this illness that was killing people, the uh, gay-related immune dysfunction, the question was, you know, this is bad. Look into it. That's it. Just look into it. But looking into it can go all can be thousands, millions of dollars into nothing. It can be millions of dollars into a report that says nothing unless that happens well, all the time. With well, every look into it in substance. a scientific way. Well, now that we're going somewhere, it has to be done in a systematic way with independent experts. But I'm thinking about like, like just my own story or the story of people I know. Right, actually, right now I have a woman not living in her house. Right, so the her problem is. They had mold everywhere. She didn't know. They tested. There's mold everywhere, right? But she has to pay for all the repairs. She has to move her her whole body, her kids out. She doesn't really know what to do because there isn't even good protocols online. She's calling me. She's, you know, so there needs to be like the medical, the medical people need to be educated and know how to treat people. You need to have recognition. There needs to be ways to measure it that don't cost an arm and a leg. That don't just thinking of what do you exactly need. exactly yeah. so so in order to accomplish that they have to look into it they have to look into the history they have to look into the toxicity they have to take interest in it maybe what you want is a national academy of sciences report to do a roadmap of the the science the treatment and policies that can protect people I'm just thinking of something you can ask for that everyone can get on board with. Oh, that will get you well, where you want to go. what I've been saying for many years is just look into the original chronic fatigue syndrome cluster. Just look into it. And you'd be amazed to find out that we knew that it was toxic mold at the time. So this entire chronic fatigue syndrome that's been so confusing to everybody all these years, it was actually explained before the name was even coined. Right. I mean, I know someone who, who got the special test for the, pardon me if I don't say it right, but the tricode. That that want that word like these things, yeah, yeah, and there it was in the house and just a regular old house, and it was at le- and that's a toxin. It's a known toxin. 
It is. <laughs> Why do you have to go to Florida Lab to get this test done? Yeah. Like and that's another you... ask you could ask is why isn't it common? I'm just thinking of something you said, how do we fix this? I'm saying you have to have something that everyone will agree with, sign on to, and then you get your you get laws to be changed or you create a group. I mean Yeah, that's what we're doing at exposing mold is saying just use basic science. If there's oh, are a you puzzle, exposing mold? Yeah. Oh, I know your website well. Yeah, our, our theme is use proper science. If there's mm-hmm. a mystery in front of you, isolate the data set and use systematic rational methods to analyze whatever it is that you've delineated. So do you have a list of people who you're working with? <laughs> you can ask Alicia about that. Or we're, we're sort of vetting and, build, and building a group and a list of people who would be interested in research and launching a symposium. And so, we're, I mean, we're very early stage in this foundation that we're creating here. Mm-hmm. So we're just really trying to vet the proper people because a lot of people are still continuing this lie of mold is not a problem and mold is everywhere and we don't need to look into it. So at this point, again, like I said, we're just trying to vet people and then take the next steps on what to do and also help the patient population that is falling through the cracks. That's extremely sick. That's losing everything because of these mold experts that are saying, get this purifier, do this remediation and still no resolve. So (laughs) we're casting a, a wide net right now. And we're really trying to get that honed in. And we like to interview people like you because there is such a connection between all of these different issues. And it seems like how people are treating and government agencies are treating the EMF factor, they're treating the mold factor. And so we're just trying to, we're trying to build a plan here. (laughs) This is my little poster of evidence from the original chronic fatigue syndrome outbreak. When the Center for Disease Control arrived and they were confronted with schools that had teachers that were all getting sick in the same area, in one case, the very same room, it seemed like a simple matter of science to just determine what the heck is in the room. I mean, that's as basic as you can possibly get. And what they did is they said, you have no proof. Wait a minute, that's why you're here. You're the CDC, you're the investigators. You're the one supposed to do the science to conceive of the idea that if there's a toxic substance of that's unknown in a particular location, you analyze this until you find out what it is. And somehow they've managed to turn this entire exercise into such a state of confusion that you cannot solve the most simplest things anymore because now there are so many people going, well, we don't know anything about that. Right. I mean, it's really interesting because it's like, who's behind it? Is it the building industry? You know, we have the wireless industry. This is a big industry, but why in the world is mold? Like, what do you know? Um, Who's confusing? Like insurance building. I mean, it. I I, (laughs) I, I find that there's a, a deeper sociological problem that goes beyond profit. It, it's dealing with the psyche of an academic. I call it academic insanity. Because well, well, uh, for my way of thinking, as an original prototype for this chronic fatigue syndrome, I should be able to go to any doctor, any researcher, say, I have evidence about the original chronic fatigue syndrome cohort. I can explain it to you, and I can make sense of this whole thing. They go, no, you can't. You're just one patient. Right. 
I don't know any doctors who really understand this as deep. Well, do you have you talked to Lisa Nagley? And what do you think? Have you? Yeah, I've talked to her. Yeah. We tried I mean, to get her on, but she didn't agree to come on the show. So no. I spent hours talking to Lisa Nodge. I told her <laughs> the entire story. In fact, this was before the XMRV debacle when they thought for a while there that chronic fatigue syndrome was due to a retrovirus. And I spent hours talking to her. And as I was telling my story about mold avoidance, learning to detect moldy buildings and avoid cross-contamination by washing my clothes, what's she doing? She's running back and forth to her laundry room because she was doing exactly the same thing I am, washing all of her clothes because she would go into work into her moldy office where she was working as a doctor and she would have to decontaminate so that she could tolerate her house. 